This week on the podcast, we take a look at the performance of the monthly Iron Condor 3K Portfolio Bot Template. You might recall that we previously did a deep dive on this bot template back on show 214, walking through the strategy setup, the scanner and monitor automations, etc. But now that we've had it running for a little over a year, we thought it would be helpful to take a look at how it's weathered this year's volatility and explore possible ways to adjust or improve its performance in the future. As a reminder, this podcast is purely for educational purposes only, and my exploration of this bot template is not a recommendation or suggestion to use this strategy as your own. We always encourage you to do your own due diligence and trade strategies you're comfortable with in your account. So let's get started. You're listening to the Option Alpha Podcast from OptionAlpha.com, where we show you how to make smarter trades, learn how the stock market really works, and generate consistent monthly income. Monthly income. Now, your host and head trader at OptionAlpha.com, Kirk Duplessis. Hey everyone, this is Kirk here again from Option Alpha, working every single week to make this the most popular investing podcast offered online because it's based on one thing and one thing only, and that's helping you consistently place smarter trades. So again, thank you so much for tuning in and welcome back. I know it has been a long time since we've released a podcast, but I'm really glad to be back in the podcast seat. It's actually the same seat I sit in all the time anyway, but I'm glad to be doing another show here. I've been actually kind of racking my brain trying to figure out, okay, what can we do next on the podcast? We do have a couple guests coming up that I think you guys will really enjoy, a couple special guests that we've started to do interviews on, so those should be coming out as well. But I thought, you know, what better way to start this than going through potentially a bot template that we have really put a lot of emphasis on as something that people can look at as a possible suggestion or a possible framework to use for their trading moving forward. And so when we released this bot template a little over a year ago, I guess, we also did a podcast on this bot template where we did a deep dive. And if you haven't listened to that one, I encourage you to do so. It is show 214. Again, that's just optionalpha.com slash show 214, 214. And that was where we introduced this idea of taking actually a strategy that we had conceptually outlined as a framework back on show 159. So if you go even further back in the podcast, you can hear that one. But taking that and trying to retrofit it, if you will, into a bot template. And we really took some time to deep dive on that strategy. We'll kind of outline some of the basics of the strategy here today again. But that show is really where we, again, introduce this concept of using a template to clone an entire strategy and then making tweaks or modifications to that that fit your own portfolio. But it really was something that kind of put all the pieces together, I hope, for a lot of people and help them understand framework-wise and theory or concept-wise why we do some of the things that we do. And so I thought, you know, what better way to start this new season of the podcast, getting back into hopefully having some more time to do some of these podcasts and then to go through this template that I've been running in my own account, live account that I've been running and see how it's done and see what we can do to improve its performance or adjust its performance as we go. So what I'll do is I'll do a little bit of background on this monthly Iron Condor template with $3,000 as a concept. But before I do that, if you haven't already heard, we did release a huge promotion that I highly encourage you to take a look at with one of our trading partners at Tradier. We just announced this just about a month ago. So if you've already, a lot of people have already taken advantage of this, but if you haven't already, and we still get emails from people saying, you know, how do I take advantage of it? How do I start trading with Option Alpha? Look, this is literally the best 
thing that you could do is Tradier has offered to pay for your Option Alpha subscription. So yeah, you heard me right. You literally can have your Option Alpha subscription paid for on behalf of Tradier. They pay for your subscription directly to Option Alpha at the highest level, the Pro Plus level, which gives you the most amount of bots. So you can do a lot of testing, highest capital limits, lots and lots of back testing. So here's how it works. Just so you know, you can always check this out on our pricing page at optionalpha.com slash pricing. But here's how it works. You go into Option Alpha. If you don't already have an account, go ahead and create a free account. You can still try us free for 30 days. Kick the tires on everything. Try everything out. See if you like it. Connect your Tradier brokerage account and make sure it's got more than $2,000 in it. So as long as you have $2,000 in it, which is really generous on their part, you don't have to transfer fifty dollars or $100,000 over. You can, of course, do that if you want to, but you don't. Then connect your Tradier brokerage account with more than $2,000. Once you do, our system will recognize it. We will automatically upgrade you immediately to our highest level, which is Pro Plus. That gets you 50 bots and 500 back tests per month. And that also includes a $100,000 limit per bot. So it's literally more than you possibly would need to do any sort of bot trading. So you can do paper bots. And that's what a lot of people have done with this is they've started to really test a lot of different things using paper trading. And then they run some of their other bots in live trading. But it's a really cool offer. Again, it's a way to not only get access to auto trading, but also included in that you still get commission free trading through Tradier. So you don't have to pay any commissions to for doing trading like you do maybe at some other places you still pay 65 cents or 50 cents per contract you don't do any of that so it's commission-free trading there are a couple little exceptions for exchange fees and stuff like that which everyone passes along anyway but it's peanuts compared to how much you could possibly save so you know we're really excited about this we're really happy that they partnered with us on doing this and they're really kind of supporting the community here at option alpha So definitely take a look at that because ultimately, if you're a small account trader or new trader, trying to get your fee away, you're trying to understand things. The last thing you need is all these commissions building up, all these costs of running things. We're trying to collectively as an industry, partnering with Tradier and other broker partners that we have, trying to make this better for you guys. We're really trying hard to give you the tools and technology you need in a way that is the most efficient for you to reach your goals. And so we're really excited about this. A lot of people have taken advantage of it, but make sure you do right away because you want to make sure you get this deal right now and can take advantage of it for as long as possible. All right. So now that that's done, let's dive in and start talking a little bit more about the actual strategy that we're running. I won't dive too, too deep on this, but I want to give you kind of the high level info on it because I think it is important to understanding what we're going to be talking about today. And it kind of sets the stage. So again, go back to show 214 if you need to, to get the really, really deep dive on this. But right now, the strategy that we're talking about is a bot template that we released. It's called the monthly Iron Condor 3K portfolio. The entire concept around this bot was how can we build an options portfolio that we can trade if you told me, Kirk, I only have $3,000. Now, again, I've said this in every podcast about this. I will continue to say it here too. I do not think that $3,000 is enough to start trading, right? It's just a exploration of a concept of an idea of a framework of saying, okay, if I had $3,000 and I did not have anything else, how could I build something that potentially was safe, risk defined, you know, diversified, uncorrelated as possible, et cetera, et cetera. I still suggest that you start with 
$5,000, something like that if you can, because then the math works out better. The position sizing is not too high, but if you had to start with 3,000, that's kind of what we're exploring here in theory and concept with this template. So if you had $3,000, how do you do it? And so what we laid out in show 214 was basically this fundamental framework. Try to scan a list of uncorrelated ETFs. So we are not trading stocks. We do not want the single stock risk that is associated with any one security. We don't want to worry about earnings. We don't want to trade around earnings. We don't want to do any of that. We're not trading stocks. We're only trading ETFs. ETFs have more liquidity. They allow us to get into different sectors and industries a lot easier. And so we had introduced a list of uncorrelated ETFs that are still about the same top uncorrelated ETFs that you could potentially use in this spot. Now, of course, swap out any of the other ETFs or strategies or whatever that you want inside of this spot template. It's just a framework that you can use. But what we wanted to do is say, okay, if we had to go ahead and use a list of uncorrelated tickers, how could we get as uncorrelated as possible, right? So trading SPY and DIA and IWM and QQQ, you're probably not going to diversify much among those, right? I mean, those are the top dog. Those are the market indexes. So if you had a portfolio that was SPY and IWM and DIA and QQQ, you're really not getting any diversity. You might as well be trading the same thing, right? So in our case, what we said is, okay, let's try SPY, which is markets, TLT, which is bonds, GLD, which is gold, FXI, which is China, XRT, which is retail, XLP, which is consumer. And then you had EEM, which is emerging markets, XLU, which is utilities, XOP, which is oil, and XBI, which is biotech. And so with that combination that you had, I think you get a lot of diversity and uncorrelatedness inside of your portfolio. Now, for this particular template, we said, look, we're going to scan these top 10 symbols, but we're only going to trade six at one time. Now, why six? Because we need to keep an eye on our capital and on our allocation. So we said, all right, if we have a $3,000 portfolio, one thing we also want to do is keep 50% of that portfolio in cash. I know that's tough. That means $1,500 roughly is tried to be kept in cash at all times. And then among the last 1,500, we want one contract each for six positions. Now, six positions with one contract each is where we end up getting to the point of if a contract, let's say, or one spread that we were looking at was $250, if we had six of those, that would be $1,500 of potential risk. That would be risk that if all the positions blew up at exactly the same time, then we should max lose $1,500, assuming no additional adjustments or anything like that. That would be half of the portfolio. And the reason that we do that is because if we know that options are a leveraged trading product, which they are, they're leveraged, right? You have one contract that leverages 100 shares. It's a leveraged product. Then you shouldn't need to trade a lot of them at a very high allocation to do okay. That's what we've always said. Like you shouldn't need to do that. So if you keep an eye on position sizing, you make these rules firm and set in stone, I think you end up doing okay in the long run. You definitely don't kill yourself or at least you reduce the risk of shooting yourself in the head with position sizing that gets too big, right? So we're scanning a list of 10 uncorrelated tickers. We're trading up to six iron condors at a time, whatever six 
come into the basket first, have the best probabilities and have the best liquidity, right? We do that inside the scanners and bots. And we trade around 40 DTE iron condors using only monthly contracts. So in this case, we also avoid any weekly contracts. We try to focus all of our attention on the contracts that are the most liquid, most likely to be traded, have the best liquidity. That doesn't mean they do. It means that sometimes the weeklies might have better liquidity here and there, but we're focusing our attention on the monthly contracts and trading at least 40 days out. What you'll notice when we go through some of these trades is that sometimes we end up trading 56 days or 48 days or 42 days, but at least 40 days out. We want a long time. We're not trading zero DT. We're not trading short duration. Maybe that's saved for another podcast and talk about that kind of stuff. But we're trading monthly iron condor positions, really trying to stretch our dollars as wide as possible. The next thing that we're doing when we're placing iron condors is we're placing our short strikes around a 20 delta. So that means that when we start selling the spreads on either side of our iron condor, we're placing those short strikes around a 20 delta. That should give us somewhere around, in some cases, maybe like a 60 to 70% probability of success, depending on what the actual deltas are. And then if we now start also taking profits, maybe that increases our win rate as well. That's what we kind of conceptually talked about doing. So we're taking those iron condors, we're placing those short strikes around a 20 delta, and then we were buying our wings at exactly $3 wide. This was also really key because what we wanted to do when we introduced this strategy and show 214 is say, okay, if we know we're confined to this $3,000 portfolio, we also know we're keeping 50% in cash, and then we have six positions only, we need to be really diligent about how we control our risk. And so what we determined is we said, okay, if we do $3 wide spreads, that should get us to around, and we kind of spot check some positions and you know, you do your own little research, like does this actually work? Do I collect enough premium? If you do $3 wide spreads and you subtract out the premium that you take in on selling the iron condor, you should get to somewhere around $250 of risk per iron condor that you do. So per ticker symbol that you'd be trading, you would get around $250 of risk. We'll take a look at some of the positions we had. Some were right in that neck of the woods, some were a little bit lower, but you should get to right around $250 of risk. That's really good because then that allows you to say, okay, now I know $250 of risk per position, which is a little bit about 8% of the total portfolio. So this is where I tell people it's a little bit high compared to what I usually try to you know, say to people like you, Each ticker symbol should be less than 5% of your total portfolio as far as risk. That would be great. If it's lower, the lower, the better. But in this case, if we're confined to $3,000 and we know maybe five would work better, but we're confined to $3,000, then how could we do that? Well, you do that with making those spreads about $3 wide. Now you could make them smaller for sure. And I know some people have run this strategy with smaller spreads. They set up their bot template to do exactly $2 wide or exactly a dollar wide. You can do that for sure. But you may not take in enough premium to then, when you take profits, actually generate enough of a profit to make it worth it, right? You might really be kind of picking up $5 bills here and there, and you probably need to take in a little bit more risk. So what I like to do is I would rather see you go a little bit wider and do less contracts than what some people have tried to do and I've seen them try to do, which is more narrow and more contracts. I I don't think that works out as well. Plus, the added risk if you have to go through assignment or expiration or 
have a contract that gets assigned or exercised. It's just a, a huge nightmare to have to deal with the additional capital strain that those extra contracts might make in the future. Okay, so then what we did, we have this list of tickers that we're scanning. We are selling iron condors. We're doing it at least 40 days out, monthly contracts. If we find something that works for our criteria, which we did set up some extra filtering criteria, like is the symbol within a implied volatility range that we wanted? Now we set it as zero to 100. This was really interesting because the concept around this was that if you wanted to set it to a little bit higher implied volatility, you could. We said, look, we're just going to just religiously, consistently sell iron condors regardless of implied volatility. So that's what we did. And so we set ours at zero to 100. So accept all IV ranges, but you could, if you want to adjust that inside the template. We also did set a minimum probability of profit threshold and a minimum rate of return threshold. Now you can set these wherever you want. Our minimum probability of profit threshold that we were setting on positions, we were setting about 60% on some of these positions. And then we were also setting our minimum rate of return to 25%. So we wanted to make sure that we were getting enough premium versus the risk that we were taking. So it's about 25% return at the bare, bare, bare minimum. This did mean that sometimes it would have an opportunity to trade and it wouldn't trade that contract or it would wait until premium was better or the probabilities were better. And that's okay. That's what we wanted to do. So those were all the ways that we were kind of filtering to get into the existing position. We were doing that. We we're also doing some bid ask spread filtering as well. So you can mess around with that in there. It's too, I don't want to, let's say we weren't doing that. It wasn't included in that template too. I just didn't want to, I don't think it's worth a lot to go through that here, but we were doing some bid ask spread filtering as we got through the template. Okay. Once we got into a position, the very first thing that we were doing is we were checking for a profit target and we were checking for a very quick early profit target of 25%. Now this again is highly customizable. You can, all this is customizable. You can set up whatever you want. Our thought process had been originally that what we wanted to do was take quick profits. And the reason we wanted to take quick profits was because we didn't want to hold the position really stretching for a massive profit when what we knew we needed to get was consistency and trade count up. So if we took quick profits, we thought, hey, we can take a profit at 25% that will get our win rate up, that will give us a lot of consistency, a lot of momentum, and it won't let positions hang too long. It'll also give the bot the ability to readjust to new market conditions faster. So if we're holding for a bigger profit longer, that means that the market can really move against us. Whereas if we're taking profits a little bit quicker, then what we could do is we could take a profit that we have at 25% and then the bot could enter a new position with a new expiration in that same ticker. But now that the market has moved, it gets an opportunity to recenter that position over where the market is right now. So that was a strategic decision, I guess you could say, of just choosing to go one way versus another. There's definitely some limitations and some bounds here. You know, if you take profits too early, you don't collect anything, right? So you have to wait at least enough <laughs> enough of a time to actually take a decent profit that makes it worth it. And then there's also waiting too long and you wait till the end and maybe it doesn't work out and taking profits early might have been the best thing you can do. So we did check to see if we could take profits early. Then we also had, besides that, some very simple logic 
to try to exit the position near expiration. So we waited until it got closer to expiration to try to exit the position. Depending on how you set up your strategy, it could have been three days, five days, four days, something like that. But you can kind of mess with this. But basically expiration week, you waited. If it never had a profit, we never did a stop loss. Okay, so that's an important point. So we never executed a stop loss on any trade. It was just, if we have a profit, take it. Otherwise, let it go as long as we need to until we get into expiration week. And once we got into expiration week, we did introduce a really cool thing, which was called closed if challenged switch, which would allow you, if you wanted to, to close the position inside of expiration week if the position was challenged. What does challenge mean? It means is the stock above the short call strike or below the short put strike? If it was, and you turn that switch on inside of your bot template, then it would close the position if it was challenged and it was expiration week. This was really an attempt to try to mitigate as much as possible the possibility that the position ends in the money or goes deep in the money or gets assigned or exercised, right? This is really what they was trying to do. So that meant that sometimes you might have closed positions and it might've been a scratch loss, a scratch win. It might've been half of a loss, you know, not the full $250 loss, but maybe $120 loss, but you're closing it early because it's challenged and it's in expiration week. Again, just the way that we set up this template, you can do whatever you want. You can do additional logic, a million different logic decisions, expiration week. If you want to, it is totally, totally up to you how you want to do it. But that was it. That was the only management that we did on the entire thing. So two basic management things that we did take positions off at a 25% profit and then close positions if they're challenged during the week of expiration, which is what I did. I cl- would try to close positions. I turn my switch on and said, yes, I want to close positions if it's challenged and it's inside of expiration week. It could be five days, four days, three days. Some people use different things. Okay. All right. So that's a lot of information. Hopefully you guys are still with me. That's kind of all the background on the strategy. I don't think I did the full deep dive, but that kind of felt like half of the deep dive, if you will, on the strategy and how it worked out. All right. So let's get into the performance of the strategy. So a couple things. One, please do not use this as the end-all be-all for performance things. I will say this before I even say the performance of the strategy. I have other bots that are winners. I have other bots that are losers. I have multiple bots that are winners. I have multiple bots that are losers, right? This is not the end-all be-all. Please do not use this as the end-all be-all for it. I think it's a great concept of what iron condor trading can do in the face of what was a pretty volatile and crazy year in the market's history. And so going back on this strategy, this strategy was started in early March. So before we actually went ahead and did that podcast episode where we said, hey, look, it's out, it's trading. This is early March that this strategy went out and we started trading this thing. And it was on my live account. So just so you know, it was in one of my live brokerage accounts. I literally started trading this thing live. I have been trading it live since then. I have not turned this bot off at all since I started trading it live. So it has since then in early March until now, this is late March as the time I'm recording this or right at the end of March, it has nonstop traded the whole time. I also do not have any logic built in for, and I think this is important. Let me go through some of the performance stuff, get some of the metrics out there so you can hear them, you can think about it. And then I'll go through some of the other, what I think are important notes to like 
you know, about automated trading and what, what it can do for you in there. Okay. So total performance right now, and I'll give you two things right now. So closed PL, because you can actually look at closed PL versus total PL right now, because it does have six trades open right now. But closed PL is $305 profit. I know what you're thinking. You're going to quit your job on $305 profit. You're not. But that is a 10.17% return on your starting capital that you had of $3,000. That to me is amazing. I think that's amazing. That shows that you can have a strategy that does indecently well, and it could have been a little bit lower, it could have been a little bit higher depending on where trades ended up, but it does decently well and really held its own throughout what was a very tough and very down year for the S&P. If you actually look at the S&P, over the same time period, the same year, this is the last little couple of days for when we started versus the full year on the S&P, but the S&P is down 12.3% over the last year. So you have a strategy that was run on a $3,000 account with 50% sitting in cash that actually returned 10.17% overall on that strategy. So $305 on the full $3,000 account. Now, was it all sunshine and roses the whole time? Of course not, right? Of course not. It went through its ups and downs like all strategies do. So when you look at the total, and then if you look at the total PL right now, it's $3,031. That's just because positions are moving right now, but I'll post that screenshot so you can see that kind of fluctuation in positions as you go. It kind of looks like an EKG machine a little bit where you do have some pretty wild swings in your P&L per day. If you take a look at just like the closed P&L, it starts to smooth it out a little bit on your charting software that you have for your bots. But either way, it doesn't really matter. It's still the same general gist. Here's what's really important if you visually look at this P&L curve over the year that it was basically trading. Number one is you really started and this thing started in the dumps, which is, I think it's funny because like a lot of traders and you might see it in the community too, where people will say like, I back tested this strategy. It was so good. It was great. I paper traded it. It was so good. It was great. And then you turn on live and just your luck, right? Like the first 10 trades are just losers, right? Or it just goes right against you or whatever. And to a certain degree, that's basically exactly what happened here is the strategy right out of the gate actually went through about a 12% drawdown in the first month and a half, two months. And this is why I think it's so important to dissect this a lot. If you're trading and you're judging the strategy on the first two days or the first two months or the first five months or whatever, you just may not be giving it enough time. You know, like that is not enough time to judge it good, bad, or indifferent in any direction. And I think a lot of people, I know a lot of people did this. They turned it on for sure. And then they ran it. And then the first month, it just like, whatever, whatever happened, they just caught it at a bad time entering positions and cycles and whatever, which are going to have, are going to happen, but they turn it off, right? It's like, if it doesn't work immediately, then it's just done. And I've always equated this to use the analogy of like kids, because I have three kids, like, it's like telling your kid, you know, when they fall the first five times trying to walk, that's like, well, you know what, like, we gave it a good shot, you're not going to walk, you know, like, now we know that you will never walk, right? That's not fair. You need to let things run. Like, it's just a game of math and probabilities. That's it. It's not 
reflection of you or your strategy or your outlook or you personally as a trader. It's just you may go through a period of drawdown. You may go through what we called, I think, I forget the podcast we did, the long night of some strategies where they go through long periods of underperformance or flat performance, but they are still good strategies at their core. So this one went through about a 12% drawdown very early in its cycle. Basically, like the first month and a half was not so good. And then it took basically a month and a half from there to get back to square one. So now you're at, in June, you started the strategy in March. Now, by the time you get to June, you're just now starting to make a little bit of money and starting to claw your way out of the position that you're in, right? Trades are coming off, some trades are going on. You're starting to claw your way there. By the time that you get basically to August, and this is, I guess you could say like, you know, mid August, you're back flat to a little bit negative at this point. So now you're thinking, okay, what the heck is going on here? You know, like you have this strategy, you're running it, I'm doing all the things, I haven't touched it, haven't messed with it. And you get to August and you're like, this is not working out. I'm now flat. I'm negative. But again, you still don't have enough time. It just really is a factor of that. It's like you don't have enough time. Right after that, you get to a, a pretty good peak of up to around 12% or so. Right at the end of August, you're up about 14%. And then it goes through, and you can visually see this if you go to the show notes page, optionalpha.com slash show 225, because this is show 225, optionalpha.com slash show 225. You go to from August 30th, basically starts a downhill slide until the end of October. And you go through a pretty dramatic drawdown. Now in that part, and well, I want to go through this a lot because I think it's important, that max drawdown that we went through in that time period, at least right now, because we'll maybe have another one similar to it or another one like it, I'm sure at some point in the future, it was 26.6%. So it's pretty fascinating actually that it went through a pretty hard drawdown. Now, I don't know if I talked about this in show 214 or show 159, but I would pretty much expect that when you backtest strategies like this, that you would go through a 20 to 30% drawdown. So that to me, that is not unexpected. If we went through a 50, a 60, a 70, an 80% drawdown, that would be unexpected. And that might really have caused me to maybe stop the strategy or reevaluate the strategy. But at a 20% drawdown or 25% drawdown with a leverage product like options, and the market that we were having at the time also did not really cause any concern, if that makes sense. But it also is important to note that we went through a pretty significant drawdown. I mean, you were up some pretty good money at the end of August, you're up 14%, and then you just got crushed. I mean, just all the strategies looked like you just had a really bad run of strategies. They all ended up, and if you know what was happening kind of August, September, October in the market this year, or this past year at the end of 2022, what you know happened is the markets were falling pretty hard and had some pretty big rips and dips. And so these iron condors, they just got annihilated. A lot of them just ended up getting positions on at the wrong time, which is no fault of their own or the strategy is just bad timing. And sometimes you don't get good timing in the market and that's okay, right? You're not going to win 100% of the time. And so you went through a pretty hard drawdown on this strategy. Now, after that drawdown, and again, I think it's important to look at what was happening during that time. Like, how did it handle that big drawdown? It didn't handle that particular huge drawdown in the markets very well because it entered a lot of positions right at right before the drawdown in the markets. And then the markets had a big fall. And so, of course, all those positions got challenged. After that, and this is why I think it's so important, 
the markets were still pretty volatile and had some big rips and dips. But this strategy after that, after basically October, really stabilized after that. Now, it didn't necessarily recover, start recovering until you got to about February of 2023. So again, this is the long night of trading that sometimes is really difficult. From October until February of 2023, this thing stayed underwater by about, and it depended on the day and the fluctuations. You were down 4%, 7%, 10%, 15%, 16%, 7% again. I mean, you were really kind of jumping all over the place. That's okay. I mean, like, I think that's okay. I wasn't physically trading it. I was bot trading it. So my bots were dealing with it. But you went through this period, which admittedly for any other human trader would have been devastating to trade through. And I'll start talking about some of this stuff as we go through here, just as it kind of comes to my mind and, you know, gets peaked up in how I'm thinking about this. But if you're trading this as a manual trader, I personally believe there's no way you continue you continued manually trading this strategy. I think it's why people always quit. It's why I've invested so much of my time and like my attention and my money into building Option Alpha because I think this type of technology helps you. I think it improves your trading. And I fundamentally believe that because I don't think that given the same strategy and parameters, you would have or many traders would have kept up with that. I mean, you're talking trade after trade after trade of just not going anywhere. And that burns on you. I mean, that hurts you psychologically, you know? And anybody who says it doesn't is totally lying because it does. It does affect you psychologically. You had a strategy that was underwater. You saved it, right? Like think about the whole PL progress from the year. You know, right out of the gate, it was underwater. So if you kept going with that as a manual trader, kudos to you. You saved it kind of, you know, halfway through only to see the biggest drawdown you just went through. And then you'd still have to trade for a couple months of just complete sideways action. I mean, everyone would have been out. You'd been like, all right, tap out. <laughs> I'm done, right? I don't want to do this anymore. And that's what I think people would have done. So that's why I think that auto trading is so powerful because it gives you the ability to do stuff like this, where you can remove that emotional aspect from your trading and just stick to the systematic mechanics of what you're doing. Now, after that period, what you did see happen was you saw the strategy fight back and it's been in a mode of fighting back since then. Now, for of course, full disclosure, like it could have ended up anywhere and it could have ended up sideways. It could have ended up down. Some days it actually goes through some pretty wild PL swings, even with small positions. So it could have been a 2% winner. It could have been a 5% winner. It could have been a negative 2% winner. But I think the mechanics of the strategy have worked really well. It has fought its way back in this market. And now, like I said, it's up about 10% on the year or since the inception of, of running this strategy. So a little over a year now. The next thing that I want to look at is the capital at risk. Oh, let me back up and say this real quick, actually. This is actually really important. So I want to make sure we get this. Again, like I said, I never turn this thing off. So from the time I ran it, started running it to the time now, and even now, right now, as I'm recording this right now, it's 11.30 in the afternoon on Thursday, March 30th, and I'm still running the strategy. I've never turned this thing off. I have never gone in and adjusted all the positions or done any manual trading in here. I've never you know, said like, oh, I'm going to take this one-off trade and do a long call or long put. No, it's just the same strategy the whole time. The other super critical, important thing here, and I think that a lot of people lately have gotten fixated, if the right word is like fixated on this in, in a bad way, 
is that this thing has traded through every market environment that we've seen over the last year. Think about what has transpired over the last year. The Fed has gone on the tightest rate hike cycle ever. Banks have failed. Every Fed statement now is like an NFL event for like the Super Bowl event for markets every single time that the FOMC has their meeting and the announcement. And I see people all the time, and I'm not saying that you can't do this or you shouldn't do this. Don't take this the wrong way. But I see people so fixated on turning their bot off for these events. And I understand why. It's logical if you're trading zero DTE, like you probably don't want to trade the Fed day, right? But they turn their bots off for this event and turn it off for that event or have these checks and balances for this date and this date. This thing didn't care. I mean, you could call it the honey badger of the monthly iron condor because it just, it really, it didn't care. I didn't have a VIX filter in here. I didn't have a Fed day filter. I didn't turn it off for Fed events. I didn't schedule Fed events for it not to run. It just ran through all of that. It was mindlessly doing what it needed to do, like performing its activities and it's running it through its automations the whole time. And I think that right there is one of the most powerful things that for me, I've seen now with automated trading. It's like, yes, those events are big days. And you could probably pick out those days on this P&L graph and see the big moves that that these have had on those Fed days. But it shouldn't make or break a strategy. I mean, it really shouldn't. If your logic and your fundamentals are sound, if your position size and your risk management is in check, Fed speaking should not break your strategy. And I don't know what other better way to say it. I try to say it in the community all the time because people get so fixated on it. But if something like that completely takes your strategy from winner to loser, super successful to not successful, then you're playing with a house of cards here. You know, like you're building with toothpicks. And I don't think that people take the time maybe to look at it from a higher perspective like that and think, okay, like, is my strategy so unsound that one man talking, right? If Powell talks and sneezes in the wrong direction, which means hike or not hike, that my whole thing falls apart. And even saying it now, it kind of sounds crazy, but that's how people act sometimes with their strategies. And so what I think is so cool about this one is it, it didn't care. It didn't do any of that. It just, it traded. It did what it needed to do. It ran a system, it tried to take advantage of overpricing of options. It tried to control risk and it did a really good job of doing that. Okay, next thing that we look at, and this is really cool. If you look at the screenshot of this, you'll see this inside of the platform and you can see this here on the charts and, and you'll see this inside of your charts when you go in there and do it too, is we graph capital at risk. This is a really fun one. And the reason we do this, and I've never seen anybody do this because they don't have bots, so they don't run it like this. But the reason that we do this is because I always want to know with a strategy, whether you're backtesting it or running it live, how is this thing doing for capital at risk? Like how much of the portfolio is it putting at risk at any one time? Which this will help you as you run other bots and other templates, start to get a judge of like how efficient is your strategy at using and recycling capital? Does it go through periods where it's allocating all the money and then it's all in cash and then it's all the money and then it's all in cash, right? It's huge spikes and drops. Or does it stay pretty consistent and flat with its allocation. Now, this particular bot that I ran, this Iron Condor bot, had a pretty good capital allocation at risk, like as a percentage of, of the capital, as a percentage of the $3,000. One, it never got over 50%, not one time, which is amazing because that's exactly how we set it up. We set it up 
specifically so that it would never get over 50% just because we were, I think, smart about setting up our position sizing, our allocations, making sure that we allocated less than 50%. So true to form, it never allocated over 50%. Again, take that now and think about that for a second. You have a strategy which half of your money was sitting in cash all year. Half of your money was sitting in cash all year. And the other half was in a, I would hopefully say, it's like an intelligent options trading neutral market non-directional strategy that did better than the market did if you had put the money in the market and put all of your money in the market and put it all at risk. And so I like that. I think that that's super powerful. That's why I like trading options. So I'll never trade anything else. I love trading options for this reason. It seemed to use allocations in the early stages as it was building up its allocation and building up its positions. It was probably around the 30 to 40%. Once it started really getting going, it mostly ended up around this like 40 to 45% allocation, just depending on how the positions ultimately ended up being like the position size and the actual risk of different positions. So it was it was really kind of just under that 50% capital threshold. A couple times during its history, it did get down to about 15% allocation, never got back to zero, which is, is interesting, which means that it never had a fully cashed portfolio that it was sitting on. It was always trading something, which I personally like. I, I personally like the idea of, you know, if you're going to trade, like still trade, keep trading. So it got as low as 15%. And sometimes it would go through periods of being 15% allocated during those time periods. It just, the trades that it was trying to make, the probabilities weren't there, the spreads were too high. And so it waited and that's okay. I don't know retroactively. I haven't looked at every single one of those to know like, was that a good idea? Was that a bad idea? But it's okay. It had trades on at all times. It just didn't have a full portfolio at all times. And it kind of fluctuated in there between full and partially full portfolio, which is fine. Trades roll off, trades roll on, et cetera. The next thing you look at is you look at a chart of win rate. This is a recent addition in the last update that we pushed to Option Alpha, which actually can chart your win rate over time. This one is fascinating because what you see here is you see it get to a win rate of 100% early, which is just five winning trades, which means nothing. Could have been five losers, five whatever. It doesn't matter. So it had a, a good win rate all along, but it's really kind of gravitated recently towards about an 88 to 90% win rate in that realm. So era 89% win rate. So that's good. That's what we would generally have expected with this strategy. So now trading it out of, you know, back testing samples and stuff like that historical, if we set up our positions at 20 deltas and we were taking profits super early at 25%, we would have expected that it would have traded at a win rate higher than the probabilities would have initially suggested because we're taking trades off earlier, which is what we did. So seeing the win rate at 88% is good. It also is something that we'll talk about here in a little bit as something that I think that we could, using profit targets, et cetera, tweak and improve the performance moving forward. So we'll talk about that here in a second. Capital allocation-wise, like I said, we started with $3,000, got a little bit over, obviously, $3,000 now, $3,310 now on close, or $305 now on closed P&L. Position information. This is really fascinating. This is where and we can start to really understand a little bit more about positions. We had 87 closed positions. I really was hoping that by a year we would get to 100 closed positions, but we only got to 87 closed positions. So that's not an insignificant amount. It is still very early though. 
I will say this. This is only this is a big caveat to this whole thing. Is like I think this is conceptually working out to be a good strategy. I think that even if it was down five percent or ten percent at the end of this year, I would still say good strategy working out to be well because of these position metrics. But eighty-seven trades is just still not enough yet. We still really do need to see. 200, 300 trades. It needs to run for a longer period of time. That constraint that we have is purely because of the capital that we're starting with. We're, you know, simulating, no, not simulating. We're literally trading. I'm literally trading a $3,000 account. And that means that I'm capital constrained to six positions, 40 days out. That sometimes take a long period. Sometimes you're holding positions a long period of time. And so that means that you have to you know, like that kicks the can down the road of the number of trades that you can just purely get on based on math. So it did end up trading 87 closed positions, got six open positions right now. The average win rate was 88.5. That is 77 wins, 10 losses right now. Again, max drawdown of 26.6%. The average win that it had was $20. And this is where I think we start now shifting our discussion, by the way. And we're starting to now talk a little bit about how we might adjust and tweak this thing moving forward, because I think there are some adjustments and tweaks that we should make to this moving forward. And I will share that template into the community as a new version. So then you'll get the most latest updated version on it as we go forward. The average win was $20. That to me was okay. It was actually a little bit lower than what I would have expected. I mean, math wise, it it makes sense that it's in that ballpark you know, sometimes the average premium on some of these, you know, positions that you were taking in, you were, you know, sometimes taking in, I don't know, $50, $60, right? $80, something like that, right? And so it would make sense that 25% of 80 bucks, you know, is about 20 bucks or something like that, right? So it's kind of in that ballpark of, okay, that on its face value makes sense. To me, for whatever reason, it just seems low. It seems low. And if you're trading in one of our broker partners that has zero commissions, and especially with Tradier, if you get option alpha for free, you're still making money at the end of the day. Again, you're not going to quit your job on $340 at the end of the year, but that's not the point of doing this. The point of doing this is how do you grow a small account and how do you potentially protect yourself from market volatility and, and do it with options? How do you do this, right? Like that's the whole concept and framework. So the average win of 20 bucks, not something to write home about. At the same time, because it had so many wins that overshadowed the losers that it had. The losses, the average loss was $123 on this strategy. Now that one I think is important because that one could have been higher, which might have skewed these numbers for sure, but it also might have been helped by exiting trades early for profits. So that was one, like you take a trade off early for profits and has no chance of becoming a loss. And also exiting trades early during expiration week. So if you did exit a trade during expiration week when it was challenged, then you didn't let that challenged position, which maybe was a $200 loss, become a $250 or was a $100 loss become a $250. So I think there's a benefit of taking those trades off when you've given it enough time, if you've given it 50, 60 days, you know, 40 days, whatever it is, and it doesn't work out, then the last three days it it's not likely to work out. I mean, it could, but it's not likely, especially if it's highly challenged. So the average loss on this thing was about $123 for trades. And we'll kind of dig into a little bit more of this as we go. The profit factor, which is just wins over losses, was 1.25. This is always a good one. It's a good benchmark to use, not because it's the perfect one, but when you look at raw profits over raw losses, which is what profit factor is, 
the question that you're trying to answer is, if I put a dollar in, what am I likely to get out? And if the profit factor is under a dollar, that means you're likely to get out less than a dollar. So if your profit factor on a strategy that you're running now or backtesting or whatever is 0.9, it means that if you put a dollar in, you're likely to get out 90 cents, which means you're going to lose 10 cents. So if the profit factor here is 1.25, it means if I put a dollar in, I should expect somehow to get a dollar 25 out of this strategy, given enough time, enough numbers, if everything stays the same. So is that high? I bet it's probably a little bit high. I think it may be a little bit high. It probably will come down or it definitely would be lower if you go through a string of losses and then you have to wait for a string of winners to catch up. But generally, I'm okay with the performance of the strategy and, and okay with the metrics and the numbers that we have here. Okay, let's talk about improvements that we can do to the strategy. So I think that one of the things that you would see if you start digging into numbers on trades, and I encourage you to do this, by the way. So I don't think that this process that you go through, there's a perfect way to do it. That's number one. I don't think that there is a perfect way to go through and analyze a bot or a strategy because they're all different and they're all unique. But I do think that looking at the individual trades and then making sure that you take a step back and look at the collective of the trades is really important. So what I mean by this is I think you should go through and look at your trades and see how and when they got taken off or under what conditions they got taken off and try to understand was that my expectation? Was that right? Was that wrong? Like, was it just bad market timing? You know, did I take the trade off too early? But here's the thing, and I, I really want to make sure people don't do this. Don't get fixated on all the negative things of the trades that didn't go wrong, right? Where if a trade didn't go wrong, don't go, wow, that was really stupid. I shouldn't have done that, or I shouldn't have entered that trade, or I need to adjust my bot. There is a level of over-tweaking where you think that if you just turned all the knobs, that it would improve you know, what you're doing and where maybe you just need to push a couple buttons. Maybe there's a couple key things that will dramatically improve the performance versus trying to mess with everything. So I like to look at all the trade. I go through all, all the trades personally because I'm a big fan of tagging and I use tags all over the place. And people know this inside of our bot templates and I did a whole workshop on tagging and how you can use tagging. I like to do a lot of tagging in my bots that would tell me like, under what conditions the position was closed. Like, was it a challenged exit? Was it a profit target? Was it an accelerated profit target? We don't have that in the spot template, but some of the other ones I run do. And so that way I can know at a quick glance using tagging, like what caused this closure? I don't have to guess anymore. I can just, the tag is my reference. It tells me what I can do. So inside of this bot template, you can add more tagging to it if you want to, to do some of that stuff. But I encourage you to look through your trades and kind of get a feel for what it was doing. Okay, here's what I noticed inside of mine and how I will adjust things as we kind of move forward. Okay, two possible considerations. Now, I'll tell you that I'm the first one to say that this is not the end-all be-all. I don't know if these would be perfectly reasonable adjustments to make moving forward. And you can make any edits that you want to your bot template and please do to make it totally custom to you. So just because I'm doing it does not mean that you have to do it this way. And you shouldn't. You should do it whatever way makes sense for you. Here's what I'm doing. I am going to adjust my profit target up by a little bit. Now, the reason that I am doing this is because when I look at the trades that I made money on, the winner trades that were closed for a 25% profit, 
most of the time when I just like looked at the chart and did a little referencing back and forth, the trade was really neutral in its range. Not all the time. It was really neutral in its range, which means if I'm selling, let's say the market's at $100 and I sold the 90 strike put and the 110 strike call, when I closed for a 25% profit, maybe the market was around 101, 99. So it really wasn't that I was closing right before the position was getting challenged. It, many times it looked like my position was pretty solid, pretty stable, right over top of where the market was trading. And I just happened to get to that 25% profit zone pretty quickly, right? And so my thought process on this is that now with the introduction of exit options, which we did introduce after this template went live, that I can use exit options to adjust up my profit taking to somewhere like 30, 35%. Now, will I go all the way up to 50%? Definitely not. I don't think that big of a jump is worth doing. I think that the reason that I want to just edge it up a little bit is because I still favor taking a lot of profitable trades off. And I still want my win rate to be high. Now, on that note, our win rate on this one was 88.5% of current closed trades, which I think is high and could come down. <laughs> Some people are like, why would you want to sacrifice that? Because I know I'm, I'm going to sacrifice that. That's the thing. Like there's levers that you have to push and pull. And the one lever I'm going to start pushing and pulling on is I'm going to try to take more profits, which means I'm going to bump it up to 35%. And in exchange, that means that my win rate is probably going to come down and because I'm going to have some more losers because I might have just barely scraped 25% and maybe that one turns around, right? And so that's where I think, okay, if I'm willing to do this now, I know that I'm going to give something so that something else you know, can potentially be taken. But if I do this and I take a 35, let's say 35% profit on trades, that means that my average win, all numbers being equal, should probably move from 20 to about 28. And I think that if I can inch that up a little bit, a little bit, I can maybe try to grow the portfolio of wins a little bit better, take in a little bit more money, be a little bit more efficient with my capital moving forward versus going to 50%, trying to take a much bigger profit, like 40% of premium, right? And most of the premiums that we took in were, you know, 70 to 80, you know, somewhere in that ballpark for many of these trades. So it was pretty good premiums that you were taking in on trades. You definitely were not sitting back and taking 30 cents or something like that. You know, we were filtering for that. Some trades were taking in, you know, $100, $112. I mean, there were, you know, pretty wild differences in pricing of, of some of these trades. And so I think that when you do that and you start to inch up, that potential profit you're going to give on something and it's going to be win rate, potentially could be a little bit on drawdowns. Maybe we get some you know more nasty drawdowns during the process. That's okay. I think that's where I'll start to make those adjustments. The other thing that I'll do is I probably will start to close trades a little bit sooner the week of expiration. Now, depending on where you had it set up, you might have closed your trades you know three days before the market expired or five days before the market expired. But I think that what I'll do is I'll probably close trades a little bit earlier in that week of expiration. You might even close them five days out or, you know, six days or seven days out as a way to recycle capital faster. I definitely don't want to see trades go all the way and see trades get to max loss status because that's 
that's never good. You took the full, full, full loss on the trade. So I would much rather not use a stop loss to do this, but just recycle capital faster. If it didn't work out in 40 days or 50 days or whatever it was, and it got to those last couple of days, I'm willing to recycle the capital a little bit faster and try to get positions on that are more neutral to where the market is. The other thing that I will mess around with and toy around with is I will potentially mess around with a very small minimum IV rank. I think when I went back and looked at some of the trades in that September, October period where it looked like had the biggest drawdowns, it really was right before volatility exploded. So during that time period, a lot of tickers had really low volatility. And I don't know because I didn't stress test it like analyzing it for 42 hours, going back and forth for every possible entry that it could have gone into. But it looks like that September period of last year was the high right before this portfolio went through a, a big drawdown was a period of really low volatility that went to really high volatility. And so as a result of that, what I think would potentially help out this strategy is maybe introducing a very low level of implied volatility filtering. And it was that like late August, early September period that it went through in the market. So maybe we inch up IV rank to something like 15, right? And again, these are all controls and settings inside of your bot template that you can use. So you can just adjust these inside of the automation settings. You can change minimum IV rank from zero to 15 and you know your profit target from X to X. You can do all that. It doesn't matter. I think that I'll probably inch that minimum IV rank up just to ensure as my, as my mother-in-law says when we play cards, like to keep out low-level bidders, right? To keep out the low-level, super low-volatility entries that might have harmed this portfolio moving forward. So that's about it, though. Now, on its face value, that's not changing too much. That's because I really still believe in the ultimate strategy that we're running. I still think that the ultimate strategy that we are using is a good strategy for this. I think the risk mechanics of this are good. I don't see any reason to adjust the width of the spreads right now. I don't see any reason to adjust the capital allocation or the number of positions that it can get into. That might come later and we'll do more reviews of this later on as we get through more trades and more years of this strategy. But I think right now I'll keep everything the same except tweaking maybe those three things. And you'll notice, and I hope this is true for you and maybe it is for some strategies, maybe it's not, that I'm not doing massive monumental changes. I'm going to a one, implement exit options because we have exit options now. So it'd be crazy not to implement exit options and kind of make the automations a little bit cleaner and easier. So use exit options. Then two, tweak and adjust up the profit target just a little bit, maybe 30, 35%, somewhere in that range. Depends on what you want to do. I'm willing to also make adjustments to the exit for expiration to exit the positions a little bit earlier the week of expiration than maybe you would have had before. And then the fourth thing is I'm going to make a slight tweak to the minimum IV rank that I'm willing to accept for new positions to try to keep out those super, super low level implied volatility regimes. I would rather have it trade something else that's a little bit higher implied volatility than something that has super ultra low volatility across the board. So hopefully that helps out with, you know, kind of my thought process around how we make adjustments to this moving forward and how it might either improve or not improve the strategy. We'll see as we get more trades going through. So I hope that today's review of this bot template was really helpful for you. I know that more so than listening to it, just seeing some of this stuff on the chart would be super helpful for you. So please check out the show notes, optionalpha.com slash show 
225, that's just the number 225. That way you can see all of the stuff we're talking about. Go into the community, take a look at this one and other ones that you might find very interesting. Like I said at the beginning of the show, this is not a recommendation to trade the strategy. This is just what I'm doing personally. This is an educational show and podcast and just a concept that we're going through. I think that it was able to, I hope, accomplish a lot of things on the show today that talk to this idea of trading manually versus automated and what it could do for you. And even if you don't do automated, even if you're just like, oh, Kirk, I I don't even want to do automated, fine, don't do automated. Just maybe use some of these concepts like keeping your position sizing in check, trading an uncorrelated list of ticker symbols and maybe ETFs, right? Not focusing on things that are highly correlated to one another, keeping your cash balance really high, taking profits early, rolling trades off, like staying mechanical, like you can still do all that stuff, even if you don't trade automated. But I think the concept that I want to show people and and I hope we're showing people by doing this and we'll do this, you know, again and again, just to show you how some are working, some are not working is that it's possible to do this and you don't have to quit your job on doing this and whatever, like it's possible just to take control of this yourself and try to do something a little bit different with options if you don't just want to put your money in the market and ride the roller coaster of the S&P and the regular market, you know, that was a tough ride this year. And, and this one was an easier ride and it was easy because you didn't have to do anything either. So it felt like you weren't doing anything in this, this particular portfolio, but it was a, I think it was a good concept to go through. So if you did enjoy it, please let me know. Let me know what questions you have, what feedback you have, how we can improve doing these moving forward. What other types of shows would you like us to do on options trading or automated trading, et cetera? We'd like to you know, really get back into the spirit and the season of, of doing more of these podcasts. Like I said, we've got some really cool guests that are coming up here in the next couple of weeks. So we're super excited about those, but we'd love to hear your feedback on this and see how we can improve this. There's so much going on, so many new things happening in Option Alpha. We encourage you to dive in there, check it out, see if there's something that can help you find new ideas, find new trades, try to improve how you trade moving forward. Thanks for listening to the Option Alpha podcast. If you liked what you heard, please drop by iTunes and leave a rating or comment. Plus, you can get everything. Free email updates for future shows, transcripts, video tutorials, case studies, and more. Just visit our website at optionalpha.com. All right, so that's a wrap for this week's podcast episode here on Option Alpha. But before you go, I wanted to let you know what we've been up to and what we have coming up. We've been doing lots and lots of live workshops. If you haven't joined one of our live workshops, please go ahead and register. Right now, we've got beginner workshops, which Steve is putting on basically every couple of days that kind of deep dive into getting started, how you get set up, setting up your first bots, back testing, et cetera. So check those out and all the workshops that we're doing. I'm also jumping in there and doing workshops every week on different topics. All the recordings are available also. So if you miss it, you can always catch a recording. It's over at optionalpha.com slash workshops, optionalpha.com slash workshops. You can also get all of our resources, our getting started guides, our intro to auto trading guides, back testing guides, all of those little quick guides, which are kind of like mini courses. They're only four or five videos by heading over to optionalpha.com slash resources. That's where you can get everything you need to learn more about auto trading, to get you set up, get you started, start back testing and converting strategies over from back tested bot, all that stuff, optionalpha.com slash resources. As always, I truly hope you enjoyed today's show and got at least one thing out of it that you can apply right now to help you consistently place smarter trades. Until next time, happy trading.